Night of the Living Finks is the song that we're kicking off episode 155 of Monster Kid Radio with. It's from the band Boss Fink, and you can find it on their EP, Finksville. It appears on this episode of the podcast. With their permission, welcome to the show. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and we're talking about The Killer Shrews this time around. The Killer Shrews, it's a movie that I've been wanting to cover for a little while, especially since there was a screener sent to me by Film Chest Media Group. You see, they just recently remastered the movie, and it was released on DVD pretty affordably, less than $7, a couple of weeks ago, mid-November or so. That's not the only reason, though. I also wanted to take a look at it because it was the movie that was released as a double feature with the movie The Giant Gila Monster. And if you remember, Scott Morris from Disney Indiana and 1951 Down Place came on the show back in May to talk about the giant Gila monster, we wanted to talk about the killer shrews together because, well, it just made sense to have him back to do that. Before we get to all that, though, why don't I tell you a little bit about our website over at MonsterKidRadio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about the podcast between episodes, links to every single episode that we've released so far, including the Creature from the Black Lagoon spinoff that launched last Saturday. We've got links to our Facebook group where you can get involved in conversations with listeners of Monster Kid Radio between shows. We have a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show like Andy Campbell from Kaiju101.com. Thanks, Andy, for being a supporter of the show. You can also find a link to every single song that you've heard on Monster Kid Radio, including Boss Fink's Night of the Living Finks. You're going to hear that in its entirety at the end of this episode as well. You can also find our contact information, which is our email address, monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our phone number. It's a voicemail. It's 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. Speaking of feedback, I got a real quick email from Larry Carver. Just says, I've been catching up on the podcast. Great as usual. This is my favorite podcast. Larry, thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out and letting me know that you appreciate what we're doing here. Monster Kid Radio has the best podcast listeners out there. You guys and gals are awesome. Why don't we go ahead and get to part one of our conversation with Scott Morris about the, you know, I'm going to say it, the awesome movie, The Killer Shrews, right after this. In the diabolical minds of the madman of Mandoras was created the most incredible plot ever conceived. To conquer the world. Why did you bring us here, really? In a matter of hours, we will begin the conquest of the world. Phil Day, undercover agent, trapped in the trap he set for the madman of Mandoras. <laughs> Professor Coleman, American scientist, believed his staggering discovery to be a secret. Up to now, anthropine was the only known antidote. Loss or destruction of the formula for this antidote would mean complete annihilation of the world. But he did not reckon with a group of evil men, men who will permit nothing to stop their rule of the world. What unknown force has been created to conquer the world? And which of the madmen pushed the panic button? Somebody's got to get Vorak. I guess it's up to me, Casey.
Hey, comic book fans. I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. You got <laughs> yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? Hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. Sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book... Comic Book... Comic Book Central where comic books come to life. Excelsior! The cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the killer shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece. The Killer Shrews. Hi, this is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio, why don't you? Well, we haven't had Scott Morris on the show since... It's been a couple of months now, actually. I think the last time we had him on here, we did 20,000 Leagues from Under the Sea, which is a, a bonafide classic, a Disney classic, some great movie monster stuff in it. Well, Scott's back for another movie that isn't... It isn't a Disney classic. No, it's not. Thank you. <laughs> Scott Morris, welcome back to Monster Kid, Indi- Monster Kid Indiana. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to come on any of your shows anymore. You never can get the title right. <laughs> Uh, for for those of you that listen to our other shows, he even messed up 1951 downplay. So I really did. You know, it's because we record so early in the morning, and I'm uh, yeah, I just I'm not really awake yet. So yeah, so Monster Kid Radio is where we're at now. Scott's normally on Disney Indiana, and we do 1951 downplay together. Scott, how's it going, man? It's going really good. <laughs> Sounds like it's going better for you than it is for me right now. Let me. Uh, well, thanks to the time yeah. zone, it is a little later in the day. Yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, so it's been a couple months, man. And what's been new with you? I had a birthday. You did? Yes. The AARP membership has started. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay, but the discount at Denny's is awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, how's it been going over at Disney Indiana? Uh, we've been uh, doing really well. Uh, <laughs> you caught me off guard. <laughs> we're uh, we're doing real well. We just had uh, kind of stole an idea for Monster Kid Radio. We did our own uh, Disney gift guide uh, for our last episode. Yeah, that just came out, right? Yes, just came out, and we picked some gifts for the Disney Pixar fan, for the Marvel fan, and for the LucasArts fan, since they're all now Disney properties. Very cool. Now that like yeah, that just came out, and I did listen to it, and I was. I took a few notes, um, not necessarily for fans of my life, but for myself because, well, you know. 
you know, like I said, we had you back a couple of months ago, but you've been a, a semi-regular here on Monster Kid Radio. It's been a while since I've been here, but uh, glad that I am back. Back in May of this year, we covered a movie that was one of your favorites, uh, from what I understood and from what I remember. Uh, we talked about the giant Gila monster. And Gila. Well, and briefly <laughs> about Gila. But we talked about... One of those two movies is one of your favorites. <laughs> yes. I love the giant Gila monster. Been a fan of that one for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was, uh, like I said, back in May. Well, the giant Gila monster was not the only movie produced by that group. The people that put that movie together, they also filmed a movie called The Killer Shrews that was released as part of the double feature with the giant Gila monster. So I knew when The Killer Shrews came up, we had to have you back on to talk about that film. This movie just got re-released by Film Chest Media Group. It came out on DVD from them a couple of weeks ago on November 11th. It's on Amazon right now, selling for six forty nine. But this isn't the only place you can get it. It's a public domain film. It's been all over the place. You've seen it on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yep, it was episode number 407. L- look at you. <laughs> From July 1992. Did you know that off the top of your head? Because I'd believe it if you did. I knew that it was uh, from season four, but I did have to look up the exact number. Was that a Mike or Joel season? I I can't remember. This was the season that they switched, but I believe this one is uh, Joel. This is before he left the show. Okay. I was going to say, and it came with the short junior rodeo daredevils. With old timer Billy Slater. Misty (laughs) fans will get that one. (laughs) Yeah, Scott's a big fan of mystery science here 2000 so yeah in fact i think you told me that you hadn't really watched this one straight in like a long time if ever is that right i had not watched it straight Uh, i knew its relationship with the giant gila monster but when i saw it on mystery science theater 3000 which was the first time i saw it it didn't have the same grab as when i'd seen the giant gila monster early on so i wasn't motivated to go and see it straight at the time. So watching it straight for this episode was actually the first time that I had done that. It's a different movie than Giant Gila Monster. It definitely has a different feel. Giant Gila Monster has that kind of rock and roll-ish <laughs> uh, vibe with the cool cars and all that. This one feels more straight up, or at least they're trying to be more of a straight up horror movie, monster movie. I would say more of a monster movie than a horror movie. I, I Well... I don't yeah. see it as a horror film, but I do see it as a, as a monster film. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially with uh, several, I don't know if you call them mad doctors, but definitely doctors that are working in areas they shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> Messing in God's domain or something like that. <laughs> Messing in God's domain. <laughs> yeah, you know, God's domain, in this case being the shrew. Leave the shrews alone. Oh, man. Uh, At least tame them. Yeah, or tame them. There you go. So this was directed by Ray Kellogg, who also directed Giant Gila Monster. It was the same group. The same people put it together. There's a couple of – there's at least one crossover actor in both films. And in terms of quality, it just feels like a different kind of film to me. I mean, Giant Gila Monster is kind of fun. It's rock and roll. This one feels like it's trying to be more – of a serious kind of film. And and you said you don't call it a horror movie, but I did think there were a couple of genuine scares or at least jump scares in this one that you didn't get in Giant Gila Monster. I, I really enjoyed it. 
Oh, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I know. I guess I didn't catch the jump scares uh, for me. It was more of, we've got this monster that's attacking us, and it's, they're picking us off one by one type of film. I never got scared. I enjoyed watching the film. I enjoyed the idea of the film, the monsters and everything, but there wasn't a moment like, say, in Frankenstein where he just throws the little girl in the water, which nothing like that. It was just... Well, clearly, you didn't watch the remastered release from Film Just Media Group because there is a scene where the killer shrews grab a girl and toss her into the lake. You know, you don't know this, but <laughs> if you follow this, if, you, if you've watched the sequel, which I have, uh-huh. shrews don't like water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean like that, but there, there's one particular jump scare off the top of my head that I can remember, and it's when they're all in a room, because there's a lot of scenes in this movie where they're all in a room. The same room. Yeah, the same room. And the daughter of the scientist, who is played by Miss Sweden, of all people, Ingrid Good, playing Anne Craigus, uh, or Anne, opens up a door to go get something and boom, there's a killer shrew right outside the door and it just kind of happens. And it, it's, it's a nice little jump scare moment for me. And then of course the shrew comes in and bites somebody and then runs out and they shoot it a couple of times and it flops over funny looking, but I kind of liked it. I thought there were some more genuine uh, filmmaking skills on display in this one than the giant Gila monster. I do think the giant Gila monster is more fun though. I enjoy Gila monster better. The only thing that would be close to more of a horror element, I mean, more scary element to me would be near the end of the film where they're all oh, in, yeah. in that room again and the, the shrews <laughs> are digging through the adobe walls of the house. That actually had a very strong Night of the Living Dead vibe for me. Yeah. Which people who know our history know. You know, for years I did that zombie show, so of course I'm going to pick up on on that as well and something that I wanted to bring up while we talk about the movie is, is there a Night of the Living Dead influence here? Is this something that could have influenced the filmmakers on that? Or is it just one of those tropes or one of those things where you get a group of people into a small area and then have the monsters come at them from all sides? It really is a Night of the Living Dead vibe to me and something that I really respond well to. I mean, Assault on Precinct 13 has that with the John, you know, the John Carpenter film. Oh, yeah. Has that. You know, I love that kind of standoffish kind of it's almost kind of like a Western vibe almost where they're all in the fort waiting on all sides. I really respond well to that. That's my favorite part of the movie where the, the shrews, you almost get a set a very strong sense of intelligence from them at that point as well, because they're working their way through the house. They know what they're doing. It's kind of like a hive mind thing yes. going on, which is really scary when you think about it. Cause I mean, they're freaking shrews. Well, they're, Dogs with their dogs with carpet tongue. remnants on them. But I mean, it's still, you know, this hive mind kind of vibe, but it's really good. And, yes. you know, when the finale of the film is pretty stressful, it's very suspenseful to me. You know, it's super closed in at that point. Now, you can kind of, <laughs> I was assuming with your background, Mystery Science Theater 3000, it's real easy to look at some of the stuff and be like, okay, that's just silly. And, I'm sure you can hear the jokes in your head every time you watch the movie, right? Yeah, but I, I try. I <laughs> did try to tune those out. I was watching the film for what it is. Yeah, and I'm also in my mind. I'm since I'm a big fan of, of the giant Gila monster, and I knew that's coming from the same group. For better or worse, I'm doing comparisons between the two films as I'm watching it, and I'm thinking to myself, the monster in Giant Gila monster, even though it is a Gila monster, a Gila monster, a normal Gila monster filmed on small sets to make it look huge, 
works better for me than the dogs and the dog puppets in Killer Shrews. That's the biggest ding I have on this film. I love the story. The story's an interesting story. But the special effects just kind of ding it really hard for me. It kind of draws me out of the the tension that it's trying to create. I think if you hadn't seen them nearly as much, it would have been a little bit more effective. Because you're right. I mean, they do look a little silly, especially when it's just a puppet. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're moving around and they're dogs and all that, as long as they're not doing dog things, which unfortunately you do get to see them kind of every once in a while, kind of going at each other a little bit. And then it's, it's obvious it's a bunch of dogs. Yes. Uh, especially during the climax, there's one bit where you see two of them kind of start playing with each other. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Go after the guys in the tanks. Um, <laughs> it, it breaks the illusion. But the puppets, I don't want to say they're not good because they're about as good as a lot of monster movies that you see from this era. But there's just something very static and not very threatening about them. They're not filmed well. Yeah, maybe that's it. Because when you see them on screen and in the angles that the camera has them, it's so obvious they're puppets. There's no illusion at all that you're seeing the shrews attacking. It did, they, and they look so much different than they do later on as the dog's covered in carpet. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's a, a real disconnect from the way they look when it's a dog versus a hand puppet. Maybe there's a real disconnect there from me and that's what kind of breaks the illusion, but there's just something that's not quite right. It's just a little off. If it was nothing but puppets, it'd be an easier sell or nothing but dogs. Right. It's the combination of the two that I think hurts this. And you were saying for better, or for worse, you know, you're comparing it to the giant Gila monster and I, that's fine. I mean, that's why I wanted to have you back on the show anyways, because it is the same people. It is all Ray Kellogg's, filmmaking and <laughs> you know so we want we wanted to talk a little bit about the compare and contrast but before we get to that there's somebody in this movie that would go on to do great things shrew number four he yes actually, he actually went <laughs> on to be a helper dog no <laughs> we are talking and i can't do the impersonation i wish i could it's just too early in the morning <laughs> wow <laughs> Roscoe P. Coltrane <laughs> is in this movie and apparently on the show. Uh, James Best is our lead, our leading man, Thorn. What a great Thorn name. Thorn Sherman, yes. What a great <laughs> hero name. And he's actually a lot of fun in this film. He's really good. Yes. He's really good. No trace whatsoever of Roscoe in his performance. Absolutely not. I mean, he's fantastic in this. He doesn't. Well, I mean, you nailed it. It's not Roscoe at all. There is no bumbling kind of accidentally into the sheriff role kind <laughs> of character here. I mean, this is a solid, competent guy who likes to drink, but he's a very competent guy. And I really enjoyed his performance in this. He is a great leading man type character in this man, film. It makes me want to go back and see what else he's done. What it does for me when I watch this, and, and it doesn't come out as strongly when I watch the MST3K version, but when I watched it straight, is his performance. And it also makes me think how good of an actor he is that he can play this and he can play Roscoe. Because that's completely different styles of acting. Oh, yeah. I mean, to go from dramatic leading man, you know, a low-budget monster movie, but a dramatic leading man who's very good, to this kind of broad comedy. I mean, that's range. Yes, very impressed by this guy, but James Best, I need to know more about what he's done. I've not seen him in anything else other than the Dukes of Hazard, obviously. Yeah. 
and that's his thing. I mean, that's what he's known for. I don't know what else he's done. He he has 186 credits in IMDb. A lot of them are TV shows. True. Which, you know, it's fine. I mean, that's how you're you're a working actor. That's what you do. But And he has a movie in, in pre-production right now, Old Soldiers. Don't know anything oh, really? about it. Yeah, but it's supposed to come out in 2015. So he's still working. Right on. Which we'll touch on later. <laughs> do, do we have to? Yes, we have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we only have to because when we originally talked about doing this show, I wanted to talk about this particular movie, and there was a weird role reversal that happened. We'll, we'll get to it. But yeah, Thorne Sherman is such a great hero name. I really like the character a lot. Uh, obviously, well, I think he steals the show. I think James Best is the standout here. Now, do you get an Elvis vibe off of him? A little bit. I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, there's this there's this weird rockabilly vibe. Which is really cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Uh, this is something, again, that I respond very well to. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed that. And even though Giant Gila Monster is a movie with the music, I really kind of felt like Thorne may have had a guitar stashed away on the boat. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I really liked him a lot. Now, the rest of the cast. <laughs> I don't know, man. Miss Sweden. Uh, she looked good. Oh, she looked good. I mean, you know, the rest of the cast is pretty. Well, they're pretty. Uh, she's pretty. They're pretty cardboard, pretty static. Not really a lot to latch on to. I mean, I know one of the things that Mystery Science Theater kind of poked fun at was all the accents. There are a lot of accents on this. You've got the Swedish. You've also got Mario, who's <laughs> this kind of hired hand type guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and and it, you know her father is one of the scientists here, Dr. Marlo Craigus. And I don't even know how to pronounce this man's name. I'm going to mispronounce it. Baruch Lamey. Baruch. Baruch. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, he's Yiddish. So he's bringing that accent to the table. And unfortunately, he's one that is supposed to tell the audience a lot of the backstory of the shrews, which sometimes gets lost in that accent. Although you probably really don't need a lot of backstory to make this work. True. Very true. No, that's true. <laughs> the, so, the story is pretty basic. I mean, it's they're on an island. They can't get off. And there's monsters outside the house trying to get them. Uh, let's see. Add the complication of a hurricane coming and... They're stranded. Can I make um, one Disney connection? <laughs> sure. Jerry Farwell, Ken Curtis in the film. Uh-huh. Ken Curtis played one of the vultures in Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Got to bring my Disney cred here. <laughs> and then his role in the movie, he he was um, one of the two that drank the most, right? Yes. Yeah, Jerry and Thorne pounded it back at the bar quite a bit. Yeah, they have this compound <laughs> on the island. I mean, this island is, what, off the Texas coast somewhere? Where yeah, I, you know, and I know, I, I'm sure there's really a Texas coast, but every time you hear it, it just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> We're off the coast of Texas fighting killer shrew. It just sounds... <laughs> uh. But it, it must be this little tiny island where the, the doctors figure that they can do their experiments in peace because it's an uninhabited island. There's only one structure on the entire island, this little adobe house that's built there. They're all living in there. The house is very sparsely furnished. There's just 
like a couch and a fireplace, but a full bar. <laughs> yeah. Right in the living room. Very well stocked. There is a lot of drinking in this film. Especially <laughs> on the case of Thorn. Yes. You know, the guy who's supposed to pilot the boat. <laughs> uh. And it never affects any of them. Did you notice that? They oh, drink, yeah. They drink a lot, but nobody gets drunk. Well, I'm just, you know, with all the adrenaline from all the killer shrews outside, it's kind of processing. I don't know. Either that or they just drink a lot and have high tolerance. I'm not sure which it is. They're all functional <laughs> alcoholics, basically, in this film. <laughs> but what else are you going to do in a on an island when you can't? I don't know. Can we talk about Rook? Rook? Sure. <laughs> I think we're probably going to pay more attention to Rook than his supposed best friend in the movie did here in a second. <laughs> Uh, so Rook is played by Judge Henry Dupree. He is like the co-pilot, Thorne's buddy, best friend almost in the film. And he's, he's the first mate on the boat, basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I feel like big chunks of the movie go by and Thorne doesn't even talk about how his buddy Rook's out there missing. Well, and doesn't really react to his death even. Spoiler. He doesn't know he's missing because, you know, in the, in the start of the film, they arrive at the island by boat just as a storm is coming up. So they tie the boat out away from the dock. And for the first night, Rook is supposed to stay on the boat while Thorne is drinking. Dr- drinking. <laughs> so really, Thorne doesn't miss him because he thinks he's out safe on the boat. Unfortunately for Rook, he has to come back onto the island to bring some more ropes to tie the boat off a little bit better. And he's makes the sad mistake of being, well, it wouldn't be a sad mistake being a very large gentleman. I'm a very large gentleman myself. But I would, you know, being chased by shrews, I would probably pick a little bit more of a mature tree than a sapling to try to climb. <laughs> And the shrews get him. The shrews get him, yep. It just felt very, he felt like a disposable character to me, and it's unfortunate. Well, in the film, he's he's used, basically, they needed a body that they could dispatch in the film to introduce the audience to the shrews. That's basically what he's there for. It just felt that the way they established the relationship between Rook and Thorne at the beginning of the film, that I felt like Thorne should have been more concerned about his buddy being out there with killer shrews running around i don't know it just felt a little off to me it gets even a little more off and i'm going to jump ahead to the second movie just real quick oh <laughs> because in the second movie thorn returns to the island and he has rook with him somebody he calls rook because he blames himself for the original rook's death in the first film so they've obviously got a very strong relationship between thorn and rook and he once he finds out that Rook is is gone, he carries that name through into the next film, calling somebody else Rook. That's weird. Yeah. So he obviously is very close to Rook. But then again, in the story of the film, he's assuming that Rook is staying out there on the boat all night long during the hurricane, which kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense to me to begin with. Why didn't right. both Thorne and Rook go to the little building? It's not like they didn't have the room. You know, if something were to happen to you, Scott, I'd find another best friend and call him Scott in your memory. <laughs> well, Rook is, I don't, I don't think Rook is his birth name. I, I, I have yeah, a feeling I that's like a nickname. Well, I have a nickname for you, but I can't say it on the show. So that's what I would. <laughs> no, I know you don't have a nickname for me because remember, I was need a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, we've danced around the sequel a little bit. Should we? Oh, man. Do we want to talk about We have to talk about the sequel. <laughs> so I found out there was a sequel that was released, what, in 2000? 2012. Oh, okay. So it's not that old. No. And James Best returns to the, you know, for the film. You know, he's back as Thorn. So it's kind of a sequel. I thought at first it might have been a remake because there is kind of this tendency of people to go in and remake some of the lower budget public domain films like Gila. Yes. Uh, so I thought at first it was a remake. No, it's a full on sequel with Thorn returning to the island. I got exactly 15 minutes and 56 seconds into it before I had to stop. And we were going to record about this a couple of weeks ago. We had to change our schedule a little bit. And one of the questions you had for me is, you know, or one of the things you said to me is that you didn't have a chance to watch the movie. And I said, well, it's probably for the best. Don't worry about it. This is what happened. We got up to this point and we can just kind of go from, you know, leave it at that. But apparently what I told you about why I stopped the movie was enough to drive you to watch the whole thing. Well, you got to remember the reason we didn't <laughs> record a couple weeks ago is because I was sick. See, I wasn't going to say that. Well, I got to put it out there why my mind was in the state that it was in it was <laughs> i was on dayquil okay <laughs> <laughs> and what little you told me about the return of the killer shrews i needed to see this film now i am a fan of really really bad films some of them i can watch this one I, i've had a couple of people on facebook ask me what i thought of this film and the best description i can give it it's a train wreck it's a train wreck that you cannot turn away from. I turned away at 15 minutes and 56 seconds. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I couldn't. <laughs> you know, I thought that was a pretty good cliffhanger to leave you guys and gals at, to entice you to come back here in a couple of days for part two of our conversation with Scott Morris about the Killer Shrews and the movie's sequel. He's going to talk a little bit more about that because he watched it all. And I didn't. But primarily we're talking about the Killer Shrews still because, I mean, come on. That's what we do here at Monster Kid Radio. We talk about the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. You decide whether or not the Killer Shrews is a classic or not so classic. I'm on the fence. Heck, let me know. Write in or call in. Let me know what you think. Now, at the end of the conversation that I had with Scott that you're going to hear soon, he mentioned that he's going to a Rift Tracks live event. I bring this up because the Rift Tracks live event that he's talking about is happening on December 4th. It's for the movie Santa Claus. Yeah, uh, Santa Claus by K. Gordon Murray, where he fights the devil. I've never seen it, but Scott and I will be talking about it. Later this month as part of our Christmas week celebration on Monster Kid Radio. So if you are interested in checking that out, look up MaltFathomEvents.com and look for Santa Claus. Again, December 4th is when it's happening. If you're anywhere near Scott, well, maybe you'll see him there. Finally, before we sign off, I just want to remind everybody about our wiki campaign. If you learn anything about one of our favorite classic or not-so-classic monster movies that you think is interesting, that you think needs to be on Wikipedia, and you know how to code Wikispeak, well... You know what to do. <laughs> All right. I'm out of here. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. That, of course, doesn't apply to the song Night of the Living Finks. That belongs to Boss Fink. You can find it on the Finksville EP. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to everybody in a couple of days. 